0: LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss, and if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Welcome back, Cramaholics. It is your host, Kinsey. I'm here with another Friday episode. Before I get started, I want to say thank you to the person who suggested this case, I want to let you guys know one more time that you can suggest any case that you would like. You can find that suggestion form link in our Instagram bio. Just click on our link tree website. You can go there, find the suggestion form. It takes just a few minutes to fill it out. We love when you guys partake in picking out these cases. On this week's episode, I am covering the murders of the G family. Before I go into any detail, I just want to let you guys know that this story is a little graphic. I was actually pretty surprised once I started digging into the research. So, if you are sensitive to topics such as sexual assault, I suggest skipping through this episode. <laughs> On the morning of September 21st, 2009, a young boy living in Beeson, Illinois rode his bike to the home of the G family to see if their kids could come out to play. Beeson is such a small town that it doesn't even have their own police force. If law enforcement is needed, they will come in from towns surrounding the area. It's the kind of small town where most residents don't even lock their doors at night, and they can let their children play freely without having to worry about their safety. All they want is them to be home before the streetlights come on at night. When the boy arrives at the home, what he finds is not what he expected. Rick and Ruth G. met when Ruth was a tenant of Rick's. Friends and family of the couple said that the two of them fell in love very quickly. Ruth's good friend described her as a goofball, funny, outspoken, and someone who knew how to push your funny buttons as she called them. That was Rick's favorite thing about his wife. Prior to each other, both Rick and Ruth were married and in long-term relationships. The G family was made up of a blended family as each parent brought kids from their previous relationship. Those who knew them best described them as the real-life Brady Bunch. While the family seemed to be the picture-perfect family without any issues, what went on behind closed doors is much different. Rick worked as a handyman around Beeson, which often brought home a decent amount of cash that was able to take care of his family. That was until Rick's work began to dwindle and he would start having trouble making ends meet, causing a lot of extra stress on him and the family. Being a blended family, the G's were obviously a bigger family made up of seven people. Obviously, Rick and Ruth, their oldest daughter Nicole, who was already married and moved out of the home, and their four kids who lived in the home. 16-year-old Justina, 14-year-old Dylan, a 11-year-old Austin and the baby of the family who everyone absolutely adored, three-year-old Tabitha. With a family of this size, Rick really began to feel the pressure with getting behind on finances, and there was even times where Rick really worried about how he was going to be able to feed his family. Not only are Rick and Ruth overly stressed with trying to provide for their family, at this exact same time, their 14-year-old son Dylan would begin acting out wildly with his behavior. It has been said that Dylan would go days on end with locking himself in his bedroom to play video games. His parents would try to get him to come out of the bedroom and be active with the family, but every time they tried, Dylan's anger would get the best of him. According to those closest to the G family, they stated that his behavior got so out of control that Rick and Ruth were not only worried for their safety, but they were worried for the safety of their other children. Dylan would often lash out in anger, throwing things around the home, hitting his parents, and even going as far as threatening to kill them and his siblings. It got to the point where Rick had a serious conversation with a close friend of his, where he told this friend that they were considering removing Dylan from their home and having him placed into a facility because they were sure that one day Dylan was going to lash out and possibly kill them and their children. Beeson being the small town that it is, everyone knew the G family and they had a lot of friends that lived close to their home. In the warm months, Rick and Ruth would often sit outside of their home in the evenings to hang out and chat with their friends while all the kiddos played together in the yard. One very close friend of theirs is a female who knew the G's for many years and spent a lot of time with the family. If Rick and Ruth weren't outside chatting with her, they were chatting with her via the internet on their laptop computer. Their friend was born deaf and they sometimes found it easier to communicate with her via the internet. So many times during the day and night, Rick or Ruth would be instant messaging her. On the night of September 20th, 2009, Rick was doing just that inside the home while their kids were running around playing. According to the female friend, Rick was replying back pretty quickly when all of a sudden Rick disappears from the chat abruptly without a warning. The female friend had typed to Rick several times, asking if he was still there, asking him, did you just get offline for the night? And the very last thing she writes to Rick is, are you alive? Little did she know this is a statement that would stick with her forever. When the little boy that I mentioned in the beginning of this episode arrives at the G home, he laid down his bike in the yard and walked up to the front door that was standing open. When he walked into the front door, what he would find is the entire G family murdered. Rick, Ruth, Justina, Dylan, Austin, and baby Tabitha all dead. The young boy runs out of the home. He hops onto his bike and rides into town to try and find some help. When he does finally find help, the authorities are alerted and they are sure that the little boy must be mistaken because there was no way an entire family was murdered in the town of Beeson. But sure enough, when the authorities arrive at the G home, the first thing they see is a pool of blood outside the home on the concrete. As the authorities of Beeson enter the home, they see as what they described as a bloody massacre. They stated in all of their years of working in law enforcement, they have never seen something so horrific and gut-wrenching. As I said prior, the G's older daughter, Nicole, was already married and living outside of the home. On this particular day, she had been at work like she would have been normally. While she was there, Nicole receives a call from local law enforcement letting her know that there had been a tragedy at her parents' home and she needed to come over there as quick as possible. Nicole leaves her work with a million things running through her head, and as she speeds over to their home, she sees cops, ambulances, fire trucks, you name it, lined up down her parents' road. Nicole jumps out of her car, she runs up to the home, and tries to push her way through. But a police officer stops her and tells her that she's not allowed to go inside, and she's just screaming on the top of her lungs that her family's in there and she needs to help. Police now let her know that this is an active crime scene and she cannot step a single foot inside the home. As Nicole is just losing it and breaking down in fear, the police come out of the home with a small child in their arms screaming for the EMTs to help. The police originally thought that they had found all the bodies of the family members, but they were wrong. As they continued to look through the home for evidence and trying to piece together what happened, they go into a closet and in the corner they find three-year-old baby Tabitha curled into a ball completely unconscious. Tabitha, like the rest of her family, had also been beaten with that unknown object and her poor little body was almost lifeless, but she was still holding on. The EMTs rushed Tabitha over to the hospital and tried to save her life. Nicole had gotten into the ambulance with her baby sister and sat there holding her hand sobbing, trying to process and wrap her head around what has happened. But unfortunately, at this time, she still doesn't even know the full details of what happened to her family and that Tabitha is now her only family member left. As word is quickly beginning to spread around Beeson that the G family was murdered, a lot of people are having trouble believing this because, again, Beeson is a small town and these kinds of things don't happen there. When the residents find out this information to be true, complete fear and panic begins to set in and they have a million questions just like law enforcement. Who did this? Are we safe? Or are we going to be Next. Once what was a small town where not many people locked their doors at night, it was now a town filled with fear and most residents of Beeson didn't even want to leave their homes after dark. Police aren't exactly sure where to start in the very beginning because they are still in shock that an entire family was murdered. However, police start combing the home for any piece of evidence that might give them some answers as to who and why. The first theory they put together based from what they found is whoever did this likely has injuries to their own body that they sustained during the attack on the family. They came up with this possible theory from finding that pool of blood that was outside the home on the ground. They believed that the person responsible got their blood on the ground as they were leaving the home. When they continued to look for more evidence, they find a shoe print in the mud in the yard. This is a very, very prominent footprint, and just by looking at the footprint with their eyes, they were able to tell that the shoes were a K-Swiss brand, and based on the size of the foot and the imprint, the shoe likely belonged to a man. Inside the home, they find the most helpful piece of evidence, but at the time, didn't even realize it. This piece of evidence would crack the case wide open. In the bathroom on the sink, there was a perfectly bloody handprint. Police had hoped it belonged to the killer, and they would be correct. Within the first day or so of the investigation into their murders, police are beginning to feel as if whoever did this was someone that likely knew the G family well. Because what is the likelihood that a complete stranger would roll into a small town like Beeson and murder an entire family without any real motive? With them feeling like whoever did this knew them well, they start questioning those closest to them. So the first person they question is their oldest daughter, Nicole. Mentioned prior, Nicole at the time of their murders was married. However, this was no easy marriage. Nicole had married her husband Christopher Harris at a young age and the two of them had a very on-again, off-again marriage. These two had even gotten divorced but got back together not long after only to break up and get back together for what seemed like 12 more times. Yes, Nicole had a rather rocky marriage with Chris but besides that, Nicole lived a normal life. On the day of the murders, Nicole had an alibi that was able to be proven by her timestamp card at work, so police quickly ruled her out as a suspect. With one person ruled out, police turned to the Beeson community to solicit any possible tips and to see if anyone had seen anything suspicious that night. They would get lucky as someone who lived not too far from the family's home saw an older gray pickup truck with exhaust pipes sticking out of the bed of the truck driving down the road around midnight. The neighbor said that this truck seemed unusual because nobody typically was driving down this stretch of road that late at night. It had also been a truck that had not been seen in the area too often. The police quickly released this information to the public in hopes that somebody would step forward and say that they had also seen that truck, maybe saw who was driving it, or by any hope they knew who it belonged to. They stated that tips started coming in like crazy, even all the way from Washington, D.C. But unfortunately, none of these turned into credible leads, and they were yet again left empty handed. During the time of police trying to solicit any type of tip they could from the public, Nicole made sure that she stayed at Tabitha's bedside at the hospital. By a complete miracle, Tabitha had lived through her attack and was considered stable by her medical team. But no one fully knew what type of condition Tabitha would be in when she woke up or if she would even be able to remember the events that took place from that horrible night. Now that Tabitha was Nicole's only family member, she refused to leave Tabitha's bedside. Nicole's ex-husband, Chris, he was at work the day Nicole found out about her family's death and did whatever he could to be there for her, although they were not together at the time. So not too much prior to the murder of the family, Nicole had once again broken up with Chris and he had been staying at his brother Jason's home. Chris still did what he could to support Nicole, so he would often spend a lot of time with her at the hospital watching over Tabitha. Chris would stand right there next to Tabitha's bedside, letting Nicole know that he loved her and that he loved Tabitha and he would do whatever he could to be there for them both during this tragedy on one particular day when chris came to the hospital to sit with nicole and tabitha law enforcement had an officer standing outside of tabitha's hospital room they were worried that because they had no idea who the killer was or where the killer could be it was a possibility that the killer may come back to finish off what they started in fear that she may able to be once awake and tell police who was responsible On the same day that the police officer was standing outside of Tabitha's hospital room, Chris had spent the majority of the day there, and when the day came to an end, he told Nicole that he was going to go ahead and head out. As Chris was leaving Tabitha's hospital room, the police officer that was standing outside of the room was getting ready for shift change. So the officer steps onto the elevator with Chris to go down to the bottom to meet the other officer. While the two of them were on the elevator, the officer looks over at Chris, and he notices that he has on a pair of white K-Swiss tennis shoes. The officer quickly alerts those that are in charge of the investigation to let them know what he has found. The police waste no time, and they bring Chris in for questioning and ask him where he was the night of the murder. Chris tells them that the night of the murder him and his brother Jason were out drinking and the two of them just had a few beers they went back to Jason's home went to sleep and the both of them left the next morning for work law enforcement of course follows up with his brother Jason and his brother tells them the exact same story and the stories match up perfectly. The police still want to check his tennis shoes and they tried to match it up with the footprint that was in the yard. However, when the analysis came back from the shoe and the shoe print, it had shown that the footprint is one size too small for Chris's foot. So this takes them back to the drawing board, but they don't fully take their eye off of Chris just yet because they find out that Chris also drives an older gray pickup truck. But what is missing from the truck is the most vital piece of evidence, and it is the exhaust pipes that the witness said he saw sticking out of the bed of the truck. With Chris having an airtight alibi, his shoes not matching up with the footprint, and the exhaust pipes not being in the bed of his truck, their case begins to go cold and the police are growing more and more concerned because they truly believe that Chris is their guy. Word gets out around Beeson very quickly that the police think that Chris is responsible for the murders, and the people that live in Beeson are absolutely shocked because they all know Chris and believe that there's no way he is responsible. Even Nicole felt that the police had it all wrong. She believed in Chris's innocence so much that she would often turn to Facebook to defend him. Yet, police were determined to prove that Chris was the evil monster who killed an entire family. Thankfully, police were able to get a search warrant and search Jason's home for any evidence that may get them closer to Chris's arrest. As they are executing this search warrant, they look at the gray pickup truck first, and as they were looking in the bed, they notice that there is a gray laptop laying in the bed of the truck. Once the police investigate where this laptop came from, according to the serial number on that laptop, it was the laptop that belonged to Rick and Ruth. Continuing looking around the property, police spot a workout bench in the yard that looks just like the exhaust pipes that the witness had seen in the truck. The police are beginning to realize that the exhaust pipes in the back of the truck weren't pipes at all, but were so similar looking to that bench that it was easy to make that mistake when it is dark out and the truck is in motion. With this new evidence in Chris's possession, police take things to the next level and they arrest Chris's brother Jason for the laptop being on his property. After they arrest Jason and begin to put all kinds of pressure on him, Jason starts telling the police exactly what they want to hear. In the meantime, police are working on one last thing to hopefully positively link Chris to the murders and that is the bloody handprint that was found in the bathroom belonging to the G's. While Jason is in custody, he begins to tell the police that while him and Chris were out at the bar, the two of them had way too much to drink and they even had bought a bag of cocaine from someone local there in the town. With the two of them completely drunk and high on coke, His brother, Chris, decided that he wanted to have sex and he was going to try and hit up multiple of his exes. But when all of the exes turn him down, he gets really frustrated and he tells Jason he wants to leave the bar. Both Jason and Chris leave the bar. They get into Chris's truck and they're driving down the road. While they are driving, Chris begins to tell him that he knows exactly who he can have sex with. He starts telling Jason about Nicole's 16-year-old sister, Justina. Chris explains to Jason that he knows that Justina has always had an eye for him and that she was a beautiful girl, and he knew for a fact if he propositioned her that Justina would have sex with him. Jason further tells law enforcement that Chris is determined, so he drives over to the G home, and when he arrives, he gets out of the truck, he goes to the back and he grabs a tire iron. When Chris enters the home, Jason says he starts to hear screaming super quick and that all of these loud banging noises were coming from the home. He says he is not sure exactly what is taking place inside the home, but he knows he is sitting in the truck scared off his ass. Moments later Chris comes out of the home with Dylan in his hands and he puts Dylan in front of the truck where his brother Jason is sitting and he begins to hit Dylan in the head over and over with that tire iron. With Chris assuming that Dylan is dead he turns around and goes back into the home. Chris would be completely wrong. Jason says that Dylan all of a sudden stands up and he is wobbling back and forth, and there is blood dripping all over the ground from his head, which explains why the police found that pool of blood on the ground outside. He says that Dylan stumbles back into the home, and is the last time he sees Dylan. It breaks my heart that Dylan had gotten up, half alive, to go back into that home to save his family. Jason says he is not sure how much time has passed, but Chris emerges from the house completely covered in blood. He gets into the truck and he says that when he went in there to see Justina, Rick stopped him and they had gotten into an altercation. As the two of them are leaving the house, Chris does not tell Jason exactly what took place in the house, but tells them that they had to figure out something and figure out something quick because he's done something really bad. Once Jason is done giving the police his confession, they get the information that they had been waiting for this entire time. The handprint in the bathroom is a perfect match to Christopher Harris. The police rushed over to Nicole's house looking for Chris, and lo and behold, because Nicole thinks he is completely innocent, Chris was back at her house. The police show up, they knock on the door, and they ask for Chris, and he comes to the door, and they arrest him and let him know that he is under arrest for the murder of the entire G family. Chris right away tells them that they have it wrong and that he's innocent. When they get to the police station, Chris starts to tell them that when he was out that night with Jason, he wanted to buy a thing of weed from Rick. He says that the two of them drove over to the G house and when they got there, he walks inside and finds Dylan in the home in the middle of killing his family. He says that he tried to fight Dylan in self-defense to keep him from hurting his family, but in that act of self-defense, he accidentally killed Dylan. He said he was so scared that he drove away from the home and kept his mouth shut about what happened because he didn't want people to think that Dylan was just some horrible monster who killed his entire family. The police obviously did not believe a single word of Chris's confession, so based off the solid evidence such as the handprint and his brother Jason's confession, Chris is officially charged with the murder of Rick, Ruth, Justina, Austin, and Dylan G. But it wouldn't be until 2013 that he stood trial, but would ultimately be convicted for the murders and was sentenced to 5 life terms plus 80 years. His brother Jason was sentenced to 22 years for obstructing justice. According to those closest to Nicole and Tabitha, Tabitha now lives with Nicole and the two of them are thriving extremely well, and Tabitha doesn't remember anything from that night. There is still a lot of unanswered questions in this case, and until Chris steps up and tells exactly what took place in that home that night, nobody is going to know the true story, and that is what haunts the residents of Beeson most. Crimeholics if you haven't already I highly encourage you to join our Crimeholics podcast discussion group on Facebook or follow us on Instagram where I will have pictures of the G family posted. Crimeholics as always be aware and take care.